bum bum bottom 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 bum b
usually ages 13 to 17 certainly loved that book. And I now that I see it in this category, I go, oh, uh, yeah, OK, we can you know, we can call that uh, uh, a teen book if that gets Daniel Warren Johnson a nomination. <laughs> Over in the Best Humor publication, this is also interesting. I Hate This Place from Kyle Starks. Yes. I mean, it is a very funny comic, but I don't necessarily think of it as a humor publication. It's a humor publication in the spirit of, like, the Golden Globes. It's like, it's it could, it could also be a musical. We don't even know. <laughs> we just want to nominate it, and we love it so much. Yeah, absolutely. And then over in Best Anthology, we have the Nib Magazine from Matt Bores, mm -hmm. who was recently on talking about Justice Warriors. Uh, again, we have Tori Amos, Little Earthquakes. Best Graphic Album Reprint, we have May's Book from Jeff Lemire. Super Spy by Matt Kent. Best Adaptation from Another Medium. Again, Rance Hosley for Little Earthquakes. Best Cover Artist, Alex Ross. Best Coloring, Alex Ross. Jacob Phillips. Best Lettering, Stan Sakai. I love, <laughs> like, Stan Sakai is an amazing letterer totally deserves being here for best letterer but also he should be all over this in thing all of the other categories yeah yeah so like including does, teens ages 14 to 17 i don't want to say it's an insult because no nomination is an insult but everyone should be celebrating every aspect of usagi ojimbo yeah I also see under Best Web Comic, Tony Cliff for yeah. Delilah Dirk, and under Best Digital Comic, Scott Snyder for Barnstormers. I love that it's Barnstormers. Barnstormers is fantastic, but like Scott Snyder could own every single option in that Best Digital release. Yes. When we did our Best Comics of 2022, we picked Book of Evil, which has only had like two issues out right now. Mm -hmm. But like, again, like, you know, we have Demons could be there. Canary could be there. Like all of Scott's like digital comics of late have been so good. And I'm so thankful that Dark Horse Comics is now putting them out physically. The third issue of Clear just came out. Mm -hmm. And man, that is a thick, fat single issue that feels good in the hands. That's the heartbreaking irony of award shows is that I'm so excited to celebrate comics mm -hmm. and celebrate all of these books. But of course, this list is not like the sum total sure. yeah. of great comics that are out right now. Like we are having such a gangbusters time at the comic book store in 2023. Yeah, I mean, last year was incredible. This year seems even better. We just got back from Big Planet Comics and we were shocked to see like all the new original graphic novels that came out just today. And, you know, you we, we, we don't have all the money to buy every single trade paperback, <laughs> but we wanted to. We don't have all of the time in the world to read all of the comics and then rank them from most favorite to least favorite. So when you see a list like this or when you walk into Big Planet Comics, you have to go like, yeah, again, this is the golden age of comics. Like it's never been better than right now. In our Patreon, we're reading Sandman, obviously. And I think about Lucian's library mm. of all of the books that have never been written. And I think about like all of the books that ha are so great and so few people have read. Yeah. And that those books are every bit as brilliant and sparkling as something that's been read a ton. But it's just like, you know, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't read it all. You can't recognize it all, but it's all beautiful. Well, let's take somebody like Tom King, right? He is everywhere. Uh, last episode, the Batman Brave and the Bold episode, I think you even referred to him as being ubiquitous, mm -hmm. just like Batman is in Gotham. Right? And like Joker is in Gotham. And like Joker is in Gotham. And when you have so many titles out, like he does right now, uh, the ones nominated, you know, Love Everlasting, Human Target, 
uh, Batman One Bad Day, and now we've got Brave and the Bold. We have Danger Street, which we're talking about right now, like uh, Gotham Year One. He's written so many books. He's on such a roll. He's firing on all cylinders, and naturally, some of those titles are going to fall under the radar. You know, like mm -hmm. the Batman titles are always going to grab the most eyes, but maybe something like Love Everlasting and Danger Street could use a little more help from its fan base. And we're definitely huge fans of both series. Danger Street is such a strange and wonderful comic book. And it's so meta. It's so meta. It's a meta conversation about what comic books can be and, and uh, how we as readers can access reality through this like absurdist worldview yeah. of comics yeah, as a, like totally. a medium but also as like a genre like the superhero genre now in our last episode with tom and mitch we did a full spoilers conversation about the one issue of batman brave and the bold actually not even the whole issue just their story the winning card so you had to read that story before listening to that episode because we were going to ruin all the plot points now danger street has six issues out right now and but, it's still in progress. And it's still in progress. We are not going to spoil the totality of Danger Street. So if you have not read Danger Street, don't worry. You can venture into this conversation with Tom King and not have the experience ruined in any way. Uh, I do think that we will tease some things. We'll talk about some characters that you may or may not know. But my goal here with this conversation is to excite new readers to pick up Danger Street because I really do think it's one of Tom's best books. And, you know, I did a reread of it this morning and damn, I'm dying for the seventh issue. And Jorge Fornes's art is amazing. Yeah. It has that kind of, it's reminiscent of that 70s style, which I love so much. And it is action-packed. It is earnest. It's very earnest. And every panel, like here's a cliche phrase for you, Lisa, but every panel is a painting. Like mm. you could turn each one of the panels from Danger Street into a Mondo print, <laughs> yes, you know, and yes. hang it on your wall and you would be perfectly happy with it. I've been like losing myself in these panels on issue two featuring Manhunter. Yeah. Like oh, that is a character design that I dig so hard. And Fornes' art is... I mean, he captures it perfectly. And if you're going to say that every panel could be a painting, Brad, then you have to mention the colorist, who is Dave Stewart. Yeah, Hellboy. Hellboy yes. is Dave Stewart. Yeah, the, yeah, you're absolutely right. The colors, of course, elevate everything. And Dave Stewart's an icon unto himself. Yes. And all you really need to know about Danger Street is that Tom King read this. Well, he's going to talk about this in the conversation, so maybe I shouldn't spoil that either. But Danger Street is a story involving all these characters from those old DC first issue specials. Mm -hmm. You know, there would be an issue premiering the idea of Lady Cop and Metamorpho and Atlas and the Creeper and the Warlord. And all of them are of varying quality. Right, right? Like yeah. Some are good, some are not so good. But what's important is that they are coexisting in the DC universe. Yeah. Right? So while these ubiquitous yeah. characters are doing their thing, Metamorpho is still out there. Yeah. Yeah. Lady yeah. Cop is doing her job. And that's what I love about it. This idea of like, you know, if we are going to have this universe of all of these diverse characters, that means that even if we haven't heard from someone for decades, they are still in the universe 
doing their thing. Yes, yes. Tom has, you know, tackled many ambitious projects in the past, but I would venture that this is one of the most ambitious uh, creations that he's put together. Like, it's such a sprawling canvas yeah, that could a- get away from him, but and so the- far, not, and- not the case. <laughs> the basis, though, of it is that these characters are a tough sell. Like, that's the starting point. Uh, right, they are a tough sell, but I think one issue in two, certainly by the second issue, you are hooked. Well, because he engages your curiosity and yeah. kind of goes like, how dare you have a lack of curiosity for these individuals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you love Mr. Miracle as much as Lisa and I love Mr. Miracle. Which is so much. You're going to find some things in Danger Street that are going to key in with that infatuation. Mm-hmm. So, I think which we get into in yeah, this conversation. We definitely do. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's all the setup I really want to do for this chat. Tom kind of takes care of the rest. And, uh, yeah, uh, here we go. Uh, here's Tom King. Again. Tom, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Hello. What a pleasure to have you guys here. You guys are so positive online. I love watching you grow. It's just absolutely wonderful to be with you. And it was nice to see you in person at WonderCon. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. thank you. so kind. So Danger Street, six issue just dropped. Danger Street is just a comic that never in a million years Lisa and I anticipated would ever exist. Same. Hard same. Who knew this thing would, would, would be in the world? Those specific issues that you are adapting and playing with and homaging and kind of tearing them up and rebuilding them. Uh, like, what, what was your relationship with them? Or like, did you even have a relationship with them? Because I sure didn't. I, I, I feel like I know a lot about comics. I've, I've, I'm I'm up I'm up there in the top some percentage of people who know about comics, and uh, uh, I got the tray that they just put out. They put a hardcover. I don't even know why they put out this random hardcover of the first issue specials. And I like, what is this? I have no idea what this is. It's a part of DC history. I didn't know. I like, when is this from? Who did? That's Jack Kirby. I mean, obviously, there's some names you know. There's Creeper and Warlord, but then there's you know a bunch I didn't know. Outsiders and Lady Cop and the Codename Assassin. So my yeah my my relationship was I, I got the first hardcover and just thought it was some bizarre hiccup in the middle of DC's Bronze Age and thought it was so weird and uh, and me immediately read it cover to cover and and some of them are stunningly terrible stories and and some of them are wonderful the, the Doctor Fate by Walt Simonson is beautiful um, but you know this is no Jack Kirby is the god of comics he's the number yes. one yes I mean this is this I'm mean, not this is I mean, Michael confirmed this to me. These are the stories that Jack Kirby, they, they got, they didn't know what to do with and they, they put in a drawer for years because even Jack didn't think they were sort of publishable. Right. So, so like, this isn't like his, this isn't his best of the best uh, stuff. Yeah. And so like the only stuff that I was really familiar with was like, uh, you know, Mike Rell, the warlord stuff, Dr. Fate, obviously, and Dingbats because Lisa and I are such big Jack Kirby maniacs, but yes. those Dingbat stories, you don't read them. No. You just you just look at them, you know. Yes, yeah, and uh, I mean the Joe Simon Outsiders comic is one of the worst comics ever written. It's it's completely incomprehensible. It's not even it's not in our language or any language. Uh, it's it's just it's, it's not how you anyone tells stories. It's bizarre. So uh, you devour that that pay, that hardcover. I still have it. Yeah, right here next to me. We'll have it sitting. Look at it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Isn't you devour that, that thing, and you go like, oh yeah, I I want to do something with these characters, or does. 
uh, some nice editor tap you on the shoulder and say like you should do something with those characters? Like, no, my God, happen? I wish some editor done that. That would be wonderful. It's so much easier. No, I, I read the whole thing. You know, just I was sitting down. It's like something I didn't know. Let's read it. I love reading, just reading comics. And I was like, well, how bizarre comics are that all these. I mean, you have Atlas the Great, who's like this god. And you had the Dingbats of Danger Street and you had the Warlord. And like they were all in different genres. And you had Lady Cop, who was, I mean, Lady Cop is basically a romance comic with like, you know, it's, it's done by the Kaniger Rosenberger team who were doing the romance comics at the time. And, and I, was, I was like, how do these all exist in the same universe? Like, it makes no sense. Like these, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's like watching, you know, the Smurfs and Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> like obviously those are different, you know, but, but in the DC universe, Smurfs and Battlestar Galactica are the same place. And I was like, I was like, it's so bizarre. And I was like, wait, that's an idea. That's a comic. What if they all did exist in the same universe? What if they all interacted? What if they were all involved in one story? Could you actually build that? Um, and at the time, I had done so many solo comics in a row. You know, I'd done Mr. Miracle, Adam Strange, Rorschach, just about one single person. So the idea of taking on, well, 13 comics, but 20, I think it's 23 separate characters because some of them are teams, 23 different characters and sort of clashing them together. Um, it seems like a huge like a headache. <laughs> It was, it was, it, I mean, it flowed very quickly. I mean, it, 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 some of it was harder than others, you know, cause you had, cause they all need separate personalities. They all need separate ways to talk and sort of keeping that straight at the time. I mean, this is the end of a pandemic. I was writing things straight. So I wrote all 12 issues all in a row. So that made it a lot easier. So I didn't have to sort of leave and come back. I was kind of just living in danger street world um and watching the characters in my head so that that, that made it easy for you yeah it was a headache i mean towards the end i very rarely do this but i like, made a list i was like here's the plot points that have to be done you know mm. <laughs> like they just have to be a cop because the, the plot is so complicated intricate and so many moving parts it's yeah it, it, it was certainly a challenge i love the idea though of taking a silly idea and really doing it well you know what i mean like, like getting serious getting about it like do you think that there have been like lessons you've learned about writing by giving yourself the challenge of danger street i mean i think the best comics i ever read and i knew this as a child were comics where someone took something silly and made it serious mm -hmm. um like like what mark greenwald did with squadron supreme i mean it, it seems ridiculous now but that's what frank miller was doing with dark knight returns and daredevil even you know you know the, the modern day stuff you know what what mark miller did with ultimates Jeff Loeb did with Challenge of the Unknown, Tim Sale. Like those are my favorite comics where someone just took something very silly and then took it seriously and sort of found the heart and, and drama in it all. So, and I've, I've been doing that since day one, you know, I, I did the Mr. Miracle wasn't considered anything. So, so yeah, that, that part of it, I wasn't scared by. I've done that a few times. Um, I was almost scared by the opposite. That was like, I want some whimsy in this. Uh -huh. I want it to be, I don't want everyone to be dark and dreary. I don't want, you know, dark non-fat, you know, I want, I, I want it to be a, a different kind of tone, more of a more of a, a Cohen Brothers. Um, mm, that's uh, interesting. Uh, than, than a David Fincher, say. Yeah, and and I think um, that whimsy is inherent to having all these people together. Like like comedy's too strong of a word, but there is an absurdity mm -hmm. that is in every issue of Danger Street that you're constructing, and when you get to the sixth issue. And we're just like full on dark side now, you know, like, like you can't help but laugh and chuckle along to this story, even though some really serious stuff is happening. No, I mean, that, that's to me, I mean, part of my favorite parts about it is like, 
in one scene you'll have dark side and you know the planets are exploding and the, the sky is falling and the whole universe is collapsing and the next scene is lady cop struggling with the printer and both of those have equal stakes and will have equal impact on each other like like both stories will eventually clash into each other and the fact that they're all sort of into that's what i love about it that like a malfunctioning printer can have the same impact as a planet exploding in this comic it's something you only do in comics it'd be so hard to do in tv or movies or anything this is a story this is a very comic book central story because in comic books you can do the intimate and put it right next to the galactic yeah um, i mean in the sixth issue you have again everything going on with dark side and then we're in the morgue and like yeah. they, they're so far apart from each other, but at the same time, they're, I mean, they're basically also dealing with like the same emotions. Yeah, that's it. That, that, that's exactly it. That's a, that it's all, I mean, cause I mean, comics, I mean, we play around with genres. We do, we do this, but I mean, it's all in the end, it's all about character, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the, the genres exist to put the characters on top of, and that's sort of what this whole thing's about. Well, I also, I feel like comics are a meditation on extremity. You know what I mean? Where like dealing with dark side, is a projection on oh my god the printer's not working you know like when you just take a crisis to the absolute extreme that's pretty extreme lisa it is but i mean like i feel like we create stories to learn lessons and i think that you learn a lesson about dealing with the printer from reading a story about dark side you know what i mean no absolutely we, we use the, ex the extremes of comics to do metaphors for, for stuff that's relatable i mean in Mr. Miracle, you know, we had the issue where um, they're co-parenting the kids and Scott has to be off. And, and, and that's just, you know, from my wife's and I life when we're co-parenting, like sometimes I have to be off the comics and she has to take care of the kids. And sometimes she has to be off being a lawyer and I have to take care of the kids. But in, in their case, Scott has to be off planet fighting a war, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. or, or Barda has to be off planet fighting a war. Um, and, and so by doing sort of the extremes of that way, you get to something, you know, more truthful in a way. Well, we've definitely talked on this podcast in the past when we've covered Mr. Miracle, when we've covered the vision, those are actually pretty darn mundane issues, like uh, emotions, uh, stories, narratives that are being explored by the most ridiculous and fantastic of characters. Yeah, that's, and I mean, that, that I always say that Jonathan Hickman and I are the exact opposite writers, I think, uh, <laughs> Hickman takes I read his comics and everyone who talks is like a god like like they're just like they live in some eth ethereal world and they talk in this voice where just like oh my god I'm 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 on Mount Olympus and this is what it would be like if you know Zeus and Hera having a conversation what to do with my life like that's he like takes superheroes and elevates them and I take the gods and I squish them back down to earth <laughs> I do the exact opposite I was like what if the gods are actually you know as petty and stupid and and, and silly and and had the same problems we do like that's just that that's that's kind of where i live is just sort of taking those i mean my first book was called a once crowded sky i mean it's not a great novel or anything but it, it was you know literally about superheroes who all lose their powers and have to be human again it's, i've just i've been doing, dealing with that theme since day one well also like danger street reminds us in a comic book universe the ideas persist even when we're not looking at them just because we haven't looked at lady cop <laughs> <laughs> with any kind of, you know, intensity doesn't mean that she's not continuing to exist in the universe. And I think like that reflects reality. <laughs> like, you know, like when you're living your life and you're living your crisis, the universe is going on without you. Life is happening where you're not looking. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And that, and that really appealed to me about doing Danger Street because the idea was not to do a team book because I, I, mm -hmm. there have been so many, I mean, obviously team books, but but to do a book that's just about a lot of characters and then bumping into each other, sort of the style of uh, the Fargo TV show, 
where where it's it's even Watchmen, you know, turns into a team book at the very end of it. Right. Um, like, but these are you know, it's, it's not like non-fad and and uh, at the very end, non-fad and Dark Side and Lady Cop are going to form a terrific trio and fight some bad guy. Uh, Again, I would. I sign up for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's it's about yeah, a bunch of it's about twenty three characters who are all trying to live their lives independently and don't realize that sort of the decisions being made by others are eventually going to slap them in the face. And, you know, it's about you push on the world here and something explodes over there. Yeah, we've been covering that kind of idea in our conversations around Mark and Eve and Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley's Invincible series, where they get off world to escape all their problems on the planet. And just because they went off world doesn't mean like Earth's erupting with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And like that lesson that they have to learn in that series feels very present as a lesson in Danger Street as well. Yeah, very much so. That 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 when you close your eyes, the world doesn't disappear. Only you do. Is that's that's all about what Danger Street is. How was like? Sure. How was it planning all of these storylines? Like, yeah, what does that process even yeah. look like? Yeah, so so hard. It was so. Do you use uh, a chart? I imagine a chart. No, I don't. I don't do outlines. Famously, do not. Not famously, <laughs> but at least famous to me. The fact I I I don't do outlines. I think outlines are. Um, I do. I do a lot of. I've been working a lot of Hollywood stuff, so now I'm doing a lot of outlines because you have to do them in Hollywood. Right. Uh, but personally, just for me, the way I write outlines, when I've done outlines, my product gets worse. I can't tell you why, but it's just what happens. Mm-hmm. And so, just through experience, so what I do, I'll, I, my my philosophy is I'll outline in my head. So I have to figure out all inside my head, and then what I forget is. Woo! So, so it, was, <laughs> it was a lot of me staring at walls and, and taking long showers and walking my dog. Do you, so do you have music. notes? Like when like an no. idea hits, you don't do a note? No, I don't do it. No, none of it. I don't do any of that. It's all, I put all in my head. What slips out is bad. It's my sort of philosophy. Like I said, it, with this one, there were so many moving parts at the very end. I literally wrote in the end of the script. I was like, don't forget Lady Cop has to do this. Don't forget mm-hmm. Non-Fed has to yeah. like, don't, don't forget you, you know, you, you, you have a, there's, you know, somewhere out there, uh, Metamorpho has a diamond arm. You know, you have to figure out what happens. With it. You know, so like that kind of stuff. Um, there, because there's just so many moving parts in this one. Yeah, but no, I, I, it's, it's, I do all my outlining inside my head. So I imagine when you get done reading that hardcover the first time, and you're kind of infatuated by all these weirdo characters, you have favorites immediately, where you're like, oh, I can't wait to write so and so. But I would also imagine that as you are creating Danger Street characters kind of rise up in your estimation of their coolness or what have you. For sure. I mean, I remember my first thought of the whole thing was like, oh, this is so dumb. Like Lady Cop, what a dumbass name of a character, right? But then I was like, Lady Cop is like, what a stupid 12-year-old, you know, arrogant boy would call a cop. And I was like, wait a second, I have some stupid 12-year-old arrogant boys. I was like, they can call her Lady Cop. I was like, oh, now we're rolling, right? Now we just... And now immediately there's conflict, you know, yes. like, you know, like, how does it feel to be called Lady Cop? It sucks. <laughs> and and Dingbat is a name a a a straight laced cop would call a bunch of 12 year olds. Right. So it's yeah. like suddenly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So th- it started with Lady Cop and Dingbat sort of at the center of it and building out from there. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff I learned to love, like like I don't, making the green team the bad guys from the beginning. I mean, I love, you know, what Gail was able to do with the green team. But um, you know, the idea of 13 and 14 year old billionaires and sort of, I know it's hard to imagine billionaires with the whims of 14 year olds. Like, <laughs> all, all, all of our billionaires are very adults and yes, mature. Yes, it's yeah. so, true. So this is very fictional. Um, but yeah, yeah, the idea of 14 year old billionaires and how that 
that's actually a fairly evil concept. Uh, as, as a father of a very wonderful 14-year-old boy, I wouldn't give him a billion dollars to do things. That's that's evolved. I've really liked how sort of how evil the Commodore is. Uh, and the the two, I, 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 I like crime series and I love bodyguard characters. Um, mm. There's all in, in, in crime series, there's inevitably the guy who stands next to the crime lord who's always who's always like the baddest of bad guys. And so I and and I created two of those guys. I created, you know, um codename Ass- not created or used, codename assassin and manhunter. And the idea that they were just, they were both those guys. They were both like the baddest of bad guys. And of course they're gonna have to come together. So that my favorite issue is there's there's an issue coming up where they have a fight. And I just think it's one of the best things I've ever written. It's just like these these two super assassins fighting. It's wonderful. And it's very so, weird and mystical and all that. Would I mean maybe you've already answered this talking about the green team a little bit, but were there characters that were the hardest to just crack? I mean, the outsiders are very hard to crack. They don't have individual personalities. I can't even remember their names. I've constantly there's not even a place to look up their names. Like their <laughs> Wikipedia page isn't that great. They've only they've they've appeared twice and once in the issue and then a background joke in a in a Grant Morrison issue. I think there's five or six of them, and none of them have origins. And only two of them have origin stories. So it's like not even it's hard to invent personalities for each of them. So that was that was that's why they appear the least of anybody because I was like, oh, I can't. But I mean, obviously they appear in issue six and then onward. I mean. Uh, bananas is tough because he's constantly joking and jokes are hard to write. That's why it's hard to write Nightwing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it was nice to kill off Metamorpho and Atlas and have to do with them really quickly. So yes, uh, but yeah, so, so I think the the, the outsiders were, were 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 hard were probably the hardest ones to, to get into. Do you get like a sense of heroism, like going into the past, going like I am resurrecting these characters, I'm bringing them back. Now, do you have an impulse to find other weird characters and and give them new life? Uh, after, no, I get I get no sense of heroism. Uh, uh, I do feel like that's I have at least that's like a something in my utility belt that if you have some old crappy IP, I can make it interesting. I like mm-hmm. to think that that's something I can do. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I just did. It's it's in a comic coming up, Force of July. I was flipping through. I I bought uh, the 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 hardcover of the of the seventies and eighties Who's Who comics. Um, which is a wonderful hardcover if you, if you have a chance to get super mm. expensive. But um, I was flipping through, I found this The Force of July, which was a team of American patriots, really crappy early 80s. And I was like, these are the worst. It's like there's like, you know, a Statue of Liberty and there's a guy who fires fireworks. And um, and I was like, I'm going to use these in a comic. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, I, I've already put them in, put them in something and made them sad and, and traumatic. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's super fun, but it's not in heroic or something. I don't know. You know, Danger Street for us really came at the perfect time regarding our own fandom because Lisa and I have discovered a new love for dollar bins, uh-huh. going to comic book stores, <laughs> going to third <laughs> comics. Of course. What, what do we want from a dollar bin? And we want that sense of gambling. Yeah. You know what yes, I mean? Absolutely. Whereas if I just keep dropping dollars into this machine, I'm going to. Yeah. And so gold. if you. Terribly, <laughs> but story wise. If you find a brick of oh, Avengers comics in the dollar bin, you avoid all the Avengers comics. Because you're like, I, I know what an Avengers comic is. I can skip all this Avengers stuff. But then you hit like these Comico or Innovation comics and you're like, yeah. oh, what's. What's Boosengar? What's Boosengar? <laughs> Let's check out Boosengar. I, I I very much remember that pleasure as a kid going through and finding, you know, like a was it you was Dave Cochran's thing UN agents or something? And I thought, oh, this mm. is so cool. I found Elf Quest that way. I was like, what the hell is an Elf Quest? <laughs> and that was just like opened every door in the world. I um, can tell you that we just discovered Elf Trek, which is a parody of Elf Quest and Star Trek. 
Wonderful. And it's amazing. Uh, it's funny when I go into dollar bins now. I, I often look for Star Trek. I love the DC Star Trek comics. Yeah, so I'm and they're always in the dollar bin. That's like when I love finding those those old um, Michael Jan Friedman books. Now you're always on the lookout for the next kind of you know bottom basement characters to put a spin on. I mean, I mean to be perfectly honest, it's almost a little easier to do a bot because the stakes are lower mm-hmm. like you're like oh man that's the best lady cop story i ever read you know that's like yeah good i'm glad i cleared that one bar you know like, <laughs> yeah 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 so you know like i'm doing wonder woman now and that's so much harder like to do i mean wonder woman's had 80 years of history and i don't know probably like 90 percent of that 80 year history was someone trying to revamp her and find a new take on her it's like a it's a different kind of character where everyone's like oh the version before didn't work this version works Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's much more intimidating, much harder than than finding you know than making non-fat interesting. Um, so 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 sometimes you want to lean towards the hard. I mean, and sometimes you, 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 the easy is just more more fun. So it's it's a combination of both of those things. I, guess. I mean, when I think about that question, like who would you want to write versus who would you not want to write? Like Batman seems like the most intimidating character to write because there are so many great Batman stories, but you've written a bajillion Batman comics. Now, Wonder Woman, there are some really great Wonder Woman stories, but there's not really like a Dark Knight Returns for Wonder Woman. There's not an iconic Wonder Woman comic, unless I'm missing something, but which that's probably, which, I, which we probably are, but that's my feeling. Mm. I mean, the George Perez first 12 issues of his run, I think are probably the closest you probably get. Um, yeah, I, I, look, the, the, with Batman, the thing you have to accept, and it took me a long time to accept this, is that Frank Miller did year one in the main title, she's 400 something odd, in four issues, and he wrote something better than you'll ever write. Right. And if you, you, you can have 500 issues to try to, it's, it's, you know, no matter how many balls they throw at you, you're never going to hit a home run as long as, as, as far as Frank did. And that is hard. That is a, that is a harsh reality to face. Cause I, you know, I did, I've done about probably a hundred issues of that. I mean, that means I've had 25 shots at what Frank did and never hit it. So that's, that's, that's just, that's, it's, that's a tough reality when you write Batman. So then you, if, once you get used to that thought, it's okay. Um, to me, Wonder Woman's much harder. Superman's the easiest of the three. I'd, I'd rate them Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Um, Why is that? Uh, Superman has, a, has, a, has the wonderful combination of what you said. There aren't that many great Superman stories. I mean, there's probably seven that are just I mean, transcendent, you know, um, uh, you know, Grant's stuff. Alan, Alan Moore's stuff, Who Needs Truth and Love and Understanding, all the ones, the, the sort of cliche ones that are fantastic, amazing. And then there have been some brilliant runs. I mean, some of John Byrne's stuff is so beautiful, and the Bronze Age stuff is my personal favorite. Uh, Elliot Magan. But the bar is, like, it's it's not like Batman where it's been perfected. Batman has been perfected a few times. There's still, and, and Superman is easy, easier character to write because he just does the right thing and you follow that path. Down. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is to say, this is Superman being awesome. And and then and it becomes a good comic. You can't do that Batman as much. You can't do this is Batman being awesome because he's been shown all the awesome things that Batman's done have been done. And also when Batman does something awesome, it comes as we talked in a separate podcast. It has a always it's always, it's always a double edged knife, right? Because um, the awesome has a, has a consequence. Uh, but for Wonder Woman, it's it's harder because she's not as defined a character because she's been reinvented so many times. Um, it's harder to say what makes Wonder Woman awesome. If you if you ask a room of 100 people what makes Superman awesome, you'll probably get 80% of the people will tell you the same answer. You ask 100 people Wonder Woman, you'll get 100 different answers. 
um, and that 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 make that makes her hard. I mean, I mean, even like simple things. Does Wonder Woman have an accent? I mean, English isn't her first language. Just does she speak with an accent? Um, does Wonder Woman fly? You know, like like there's just there's some there's so much undefined. What makes her awesome? What, what makes her that that you have to sort of there's there's just a lot more work to do there to make her cool. Well, I hope and I I I, I really love what Daniel and I've done. So hopefully we found it. But it's 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 more difficult for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're dying for more Wonder Woman stories because we, we love Wonder Woman, but we're always like, I guess our feeling is that we're still waiting for like the great Wonder Woman story. And so it's always a fun hunt to explore back issues of Wonder Woman stories because you often what you find are like stories that don't get a lot of love, but are actually pretty damn great. Well, I mean, she, I mean, she's such a bizarre character because with Superman Batman, you can go back to the origin story and be like, okay, what? Did, okay, Superman is, this is a story of, of immigrants fighting you know, you know, uh, immigrants fighting to be relevant and fighting to be good. And you're like, all right, yeah, that's awesome. And Batman, this is a story about uh, about pain and redemption. And then you get to Wonder Woman. It's like, oh, this is a story about the wonders of bondage and how that can help your life. And you're like, well, that's interesting. That's super cool. And, and you know, Grant Morrison loves that, but it's not 100% equatable as like going back to the origins. I, I know it's more complicated than that, but that is part of it. Sure, that, sure. And, and it's an essential part if you read those original comics. That's basically the theme of almost every issue of, of Golden Age Wonder Woman. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's one of the reasons why we love the Earth One stuff that Grant Morrison. Yes, did. exactly. And that's what yeah. Grant did. He dug into yeah. that part of it. But that's hard yeah. to do in a, in the mainstream book. Is to be and 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 it's it's also kind of not my. I don't know if it's not my kink. I don't think I could explain it from the inside as well as some other people mm. could. One of the things that Lisa and I appreciate so much about your writing is it does feel like you pull a lot from your own relationships in your life. And we're recording this on the day that they've, they've announced Trinity and you did an IGN interview. And in that interview, you talked about your children and their relationship as siblings and how that differs because of their age gaps and how you wanted to incorporate that in with Jonathan Kent, Damian Wayne, and now Trinity. Uh, Like, do you find yourself mining your reality a lot? I mean, every author does. There's not one author that that does. That's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a really good question. And I feel like a bunch of authors give me different answers, but they'll all be lying if they say no. Uh, I mean, yes, we exist in our imagination, but our imagination is built out of pieces of us. You know, it's mm-hmm. like John Locke, you know, you build, you build the world from your experience. Yes. Every, you know, uh, people ask me, you know, what my CIA stuff is all over my stuff. My family's all over my stuff. My dog is all over my stuff. I, I write a story a week that that's, that's my job is, and that's, you know, a screenwriter will write a story every two years. A television writer will write eight stories every three years. Comic book writers are a story a week. We're doing we're doing fifty stories a fifty stories a year. That means eventually you have to mine what's around you. I mean, it's it's a wonder that half comics aren't about oh my desk isn't working. You know, like <laughs> uh, do, do you feel ever feel like a weird sense of intimacy having to give a, a a piece of yourself away once a week? Does it does it ever leave give you a little vulnerability? Especially burn? when people jump on you and say like that was a terrible thing that you just did to my comic. <laughs> yeah, that piece of you, I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's called Heroes in Crisis. It exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's out there. Um, yes, a hundred percent. If I could write a different way, if I could write like you know just big bombastic you know Michael Bay Transformers kind of comics that have nothing to do with me, I would totally do that. I, it sounds wonderful and joyous. This is just the only way I know how to do my job. Um, so I don't really have a choice. Uh, so yes, I, I very much regret it, and yet. It's the best way to earn a living ever. So what am I going to complain? But 
but like they're like as a reader they're the kind of stories that I like to read because I I like to read like okay you're having a hard time are you okay because I'm having a, a hard time and I don't know if I'm okay like that's what I that's what I go to comics for a lot of the time going like oh man you're going through something weird sometimes I go through something weird are we fine you know yeah no I mean I mean I've gotten so many people yelling at me you know like oh you're you know, you're not manly or you're not, you know, because you, you, you talk about feelings and all this stuff. And I was like, that's the whole point of the comic. Yes. Is that, is, is, is that like to be manly is not to deny who you are. I was like, Oh my God, I don't. That scares people though. <laughs> it does. But what's the point of writing if you're not scared, writing or reading if you're not scared, right? I don't know. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's, look, the reason people create art is because there's something in them they can't express in words um right or else they would just say it or else they'd all be philosophers mm -hmm. they would just be like or bloggers you know be like this is what i think read my thinking and then you just read that but people who create stories people who create paintings people who do any creative activity it's not just telling you exactly what they feel because i can't express what this is there's something happening to me that i can't get out in these fucking that I, and it's all god or science or evolution gave us with stupid words mm -hmm, and right. so we have so we have to create things to try to communicate with you saying, this is what's inside of me. Does this match anything inside of you? It's like a, every, every piece of art is a question, right? And then you, and, and that's, it's so vulnerable and yucky to ask that question, but you kind of just feel like you're, you have to do it because you just don't want to be alone in the universe. Yeah. And has that philosophy there evolved since you've been creating? Like, is, is that where you were initially uh, and versus where you are now? Oh, I mean, I've evolved a lot. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, when there, I mean, there are all sort of, I mean, I, you know, obviously my first books were all about the war experience because I was like two or three years out of that. And now I, I almost don't write about that kind of stuff at all anymore. And then there's that sort of middle period, which is all about sort of this, you know, where I had, a, you know, what they used to call a nervous breakdown, sort of panic attack thing. And, and, you know, due to a lot of therapy and a lot of help, I'm kind of stable and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's kind of a new period now, but you know, you never know. It's, it's one of those things where you can't see the lines until you look behind you. You know, you never, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll look back and be, I mean, I'm sure I'm writing about whatever the pandemic was and whatever, you know, all the troubles we've had with our government um, and all that insanity, like that seems to be sort of a lasting thing that I'm writing about. Um, but hopefully that goes away and it'll be something new and wonderful. Well, it does feel like you are talking about a lot of those things in Danger Street as we are progressing towards the end of this series. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Danger Street is, I mean, it, it's, it's all about relationship. It's, it's about how the, 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 the smallest of us can have, you know, the, the biggest impact um, and how, how, how small acts of kindness can overcome huge acts of um, insanity and awfulness. And yes. it's, it's, and, it, and it's also about, I mean, I mean, it's, 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 you know, narrated by Dr. Fate. He's, he's the master yeah. of order. Um, and it's about this sort of, and, it, and it's the most chaotic book. It's 23 stories happening at the same time. So it's about how order comes out of chaos. It's sort of the whole thing. Yeah. Like sort of I, find I, peace amongst the clatter. Because Dr. Fate, just by merit of him telling the story, it has now all of a sudden it has like almost like a, a mystical effect. Like, oh, this is magical and significant because it must be because Dr. Fate wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't important. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is a little bit of a take on Into the Woods, the Stephen Sondheim musical, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, you know, a bunch of unrelated characters who are in that case, fairy tale characters, not superhero characters crashing mm -hmm. into each other and sort of the consequences of that. Um, and so, I mean, that's why it has, you know, uh, Once Upon a Time in a Far Off Kingdom is the first line of Into the Woods and the first line of Danger Street. So I was, I'm very 
I am so ashamed it. I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> You're the biggest into the woods fan. Uh, you know, to be uh, to be frank, I am a Sunday in the Park with George. Is my also, favorite Sondheim. Also awesome. It was nice seeing Mandy Patinkin on the lines on the yes! lines yesterday. Right? Oh man, and he Which was giving it. Main sign too. Oh, <laughs> oh, but he had so much fire. It was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. So uh, yeah, something that that that's and so of course people don't know the Into the Woods has a narrator. And who famously kind of falls into the story two thirds of the way through and becomes sort of a pair. And so that that was the inspiration was the sort of the narrator character from Into the Woods. Oh, I love that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, into the Woods. Didn't think we were going to be talking Sondheim tonight. That's oh. what we do, man. Sondheim <laughs> and Dark Side. That's where I'm yeah. making money. <laughs> oh, man, that musical. When, when, we're, when we're looking at Dark Side, uh, somewhere someone is like, Milky White. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm telling you. <laughs> Uh, Tom, thank you so much for chatting Danger Street and, you know, for being on the last episode with Mitch talking uh, Batman, the Brave and the Bold. Uh, You are ubiquitous, just like Batman. You're you're everywhere. Does that scare you? (laughs) I should be disappearing in a little bit because I was I've been spending the last six months in Hollywood. So my my production will go down a little bit, but it'll take a while because I was so far ahead. Mm. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Oh man, I feel like pop culture and the readers and the watchers have a, are more ready to listen to workers' issues than they were when the last writer's strike happened. Mm-hmm. We're more primed. I hope so. I, I'm a, I am a I'm a member of WGA. I am out on strike, and I I I I, I hope it all comes out awesome because they're striking for good things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's gonna be a long time though. I think. Yeah, for sure. No, it's going to end tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> uh, on that note, Tom, thank you so much uh, again for hanging out with Comic Book Couples Counseling. You guys are the best. You rock. Into the woods. I missed it. I missed the reference. I'm afraid somebody's going to come for my like theater nerd kid card. But, you know, in my defense, once upon a time in a far off kingdom, like that, I mean... That it's, in the context of Into the Woods is a meta reference for every yeah. fairy tale. Yeah, so it is pretty broad. It's yeah. pretty basic. <laughs> yeah. If he had someone with a staff zap someone in the nuts, I'd get that uh, Into the Woods reference. But while I did not clock that reference initially, what I love about it is, like you're saying, Into the Woods is about like all these fairy tale mega stories coming together into one tale like it's the avengers of fairy tales and that's what danger street is except it's all these wannabe heroes Mm, well also like into the woods is about like the first act everybody has their happy ending Mm. and then that's where the story usually ends but after that there are all of the ramifications yeah Jackie gets to keep Milky White because he got all of the treasure from the giants upstairs, like up up the vine or whatever. Now the giants are angry and and uh, one of them falls down and dies and the other one is broken hearted. And what you see in Danger Street in those first few issues is the toppling of dominoes, right? Mm-hmm. Or like the butterfly effect of one person doing this thing and then it it ripples all the way to apocalypse and dark side. Right. There's no such thing as the end of a story in a universe with continuity. Mm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I also really enjoyed about this conversation with Tom King about Danger Street was him exploring the idea ultimately, and we're waiting to see how this plays out in the series, how 
little acts of kindness also have ripples, mm-hmm. yes. right? And that's what we should all be striving toward is just doing one small kind act that will then grow into a much larger kind act for somebody else. The part of Danger Street that I am trying to fold into my being, and I feel like I've I've had this thought before, but this kind of just like underscores it, is the idea of we tend to measure our own heroism versus the heroism of others. Mm, yeah. What Lady Cop can do versus what Superman can do yes, is yes. completely different. And, and by comparison, make Lady Cop look insignificant. But how I want to measure my own personal heroism and the heroism of others is what is their active, active heroism versus what that person is capable of. Is that person challenging themselves? And also in like, in um, ratio to the circumstance, like not every circumstance calls for this enormous act of heroism, but it might call for that small kindness that does have that ripple effect. And to reflect on that, there is this one moment in Danger Street, like minor spoilers for Danger Street, but Lady Cop is talking to another police officer Mm -hmm. and they're discussing whether or not they should bring in Superman. You know, they're beat cops. (laughs) Like, they don't interact with the Justice League too often. But when they encounter a superhuman crime, there is a number on the back of a pamphlet that they can call Mm -hmm. to get in touch with some Justice League secretary, right, that can hook you up with Green Lantern or Martian Manhunter. And Lady Cop says, you know, I called for Superman once. I was under a bed Mm -hmm. and he didn't come. And there's so much story and what's not being said between those words. And it's so powerful. And, and it speaks to what you're saying. You know, she had to find the Superman inside her, Mm. like her heroism. it, It was within, and you have to find that, that thing within. Sometimes your greatest superpower is your availability. Even with Everything that Superman can do, he can't be everywhere at once yet. Or sometimes he can. I mean, I don't, like, in the full context of every Superman story ever told. But you you get what I'm saying. Yes, I do. Lady Cop, she might not have superpowers, but she is there. And that's what she needed when she was under that bed. She needs someone to be there. Yeah, she needed someone like herself, so now she can be that person for somebody else. Right. So hopefully this conversation did its job of what we wanted to do. If you're not already familiar with Danger Street, now you're a little curious and you go pick up those comics. I really hope you do. And if you do, if you are that new reader to Danger Street, I want to hear from you. Yes. Uh, Please email us cbccpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at cbccpodcast. It's been a wild week online. (laughs) You know, we had this conversation with Tom King on the day that they announced Trinity. Leading up to this conversation, he was responding to people all morning long. After this conversation, he went back to responding to people all day long. Uh, We got a little Wonder Woman conversation in here. I like to think of it as an interesting, uh, what do you like, a sequel to that very first Daniel Warren Johnson conversation that we had a couple years ago about Beta Ray Bill. And in that chat, we talked about Wonder Woman Dead Earth, one of our favorite Wonder Woman stories, and how he wrote that tale because he felt like Wonder Woman didn't have a Dark Knight Returns 
in her canon. And when we posed that question to Tom, you know, he gave the answer that he gave. And I still don't know if Daniel Warren Johnson is right or if Wonder Woman really does have that iconic book because honestly, I haven't read a ton of Wonder Woman comics. Yeah, I feel I feel so totally out of my depth talking Wonder Woman, but my curiosity is peaked. Yes. And it did lead us to asking that question on Twitter, and we got so many responses. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of people thought that the original George Perez run is that Dark Knight Returns. I think a strong case can be made for that. Tom King made that mm-hmm. case. Yes. A lot of people mentioned Greg Rucka. A lot of people mentioned that Grant Morrison run. We both love that run. But I think what I really came away from that conversation thinking is, we need to read some Wonder Woman comics. We need to go back into that back catalog. Yes. And we're open to suggestions, y'all. Again, cbccpodcast at gmail.com, at cbccpodcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, And yeah, that's going to do it for this week on Comic Book Couples Counseling. Uh, Two episodes with Tom King. I hope you really enjoyed them. Let us know. Share them with all your friends, all your strangers, all your neighbors. Next week, we will return to Invincible with our third counseling session for Mark and Eve using Mark Brackett's permission to feel. We are talking about the second, well, the third to last Invincible comic, Full House, A lot of emotions going on with that one. Lisa, do you have your chart ready? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, My mood meter, you mean? I forgot what it was called. (laughs) Do you have your mood meter ready? Yes, and I am in the yellow quadrant. Woohoo! That's that's okay. I think so, right? Yeah, yellow's okay. You're not in the red. You don't want to be in the red. That's right. Uh, So be on the lookout for that. We are so close to being done with our Invincible uh, counseling sessions. I cannot... I mean, I, I'm going to say I cannot wait till we get to those final uh, few issues. But we have had to wait. But we have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> We've had to wait. Lisa's migraines, they've been bad. Yeah. But hopefully no more migraines this month. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed because it's a lie. <laughs> there are going to be more migraines this month. But that's Poor okay. Lisa. We're doing the best. We're doing the best that we can. And then also next week, we have another Creator Corner conversation with Patton Oswalt and Jordan Blum talking about minor threats from Dark Horse Comics. That trade paperback is coming out in June, but the single issues are available now, and you're going to want to read them before listening to that chat. I agree. Oh, Brad. Uh, yes? Anything can happen on Danger Street. May I segue? You Where can our listeners send their okay. words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. If you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. I'm so tempted to put in another Into the Woods reference, but I'm holding back. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon. 
where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. We're almost done with our Sleepwalking Through Sandman series. 75 episodes for 75 <laughs> issues. That's but wild. Is it, are we really going to stop there? I think not. No, there's a lot of spinoff Sandman stories we got to get into. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. Have I said that already this episode? You can visit <laughs> our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and... Oh, yeah. Hive Social still in this copy at CBCC Podcast. <laughs> you can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport, a cow as white as milk. Open. More singing, Lisa. <laughs> I can't. Every time I sing on Comic Book Couples Counseling, take a shot.